This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Idiot America, How Stupidity Became a Virtue in the Land of the Free, our guest today, Charles P. Pierce, explores the glorification of ignorance in the United States and how a country founded on intellectual curiosity has somehow deteriorated into a nation of simpletons more apt to vote for an American Idol contestant than a presidential candidate. Pierce is a contributing writer for Esquire, a staff writer for the Boston Globe, and a frequent contributor to the American Prospect and Slate. Charles P. Pierce, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, guys. And how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Are you, are you in Boston right now? Yeah, I am. All righty. Did you have a chance to go to Washington? Uh, this? No, I didn't. As I explained to my editor at Doubleday, sooner or later I have to write this book and have to stop researching. So. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it, what, what struck you most about the, uh, the 9-12 meeting this weekend? Well, I mean, I don't think you know. I don't know why they're inflating their numbers as badly as they are. Because I think seventy thousand people for an, for a march that had no apparent theme is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just sort of, sort of this, sort of this, you know, grab bag of 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 things that make us upset. Uh-huh. And uh, no, so I mean, I you know, well, I mean, this is. I make a point in the book that idiot America is not the people who believe the crazy stuff. It's not even the people who act on the crazy stuff. They've been with us always. It's one of the glories of the United States of America, which is the great, greatest country ever devised in which to be completely out of your mind. <laughs> the problem is, idiot America is the rest of us. I mean, these people are entitled to build a completely functioning world in which they have their own science, their own history, their own constitutional law, and apparently their own system of counting crowds. <laughs> but the rest of us don't have to take it seriously. And what, what, what generates what I call idiot America is when the rest of us, either through our elected officials or on our own or through lassitude or, 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 or ignorance or, or you know, some kind of mushy sense of fairness, uh, allow craziness to, to get a point where it drives the bus. Now, I noticed, too, in your book you have uh, three great premises of, I suppose, idiocy in America. And the first one being any theory is valid if it sells books, soaks up ratings, or otherwise moves units. So are, are you taking on capitalism there? Are you taking well, on commercial? I'm not, well, no, I'm, t- I'm, not t- I'm not taking Anybody's entitled to, yeah. to make as much money as they can from their craziness. I don't have a problem with that. But it doesn't make the craziness true just because, just because a lot of people happen to believe it. It doesn't matter if you take a, ga- if you take a Gallup poll on gravity, okay? Yeah. It doesn't matter what percentage of the people think they should be able to flap their arms and fly to the moon. <laughs> they can't do it. You can't run someone for president on the alchemy party ticket, because no matter how firmly he promises that he will turn straw into gold, he won't be able to do it. <laughs> now, I'm I just curious, because you're referring to the to the 9-12 march. Now, I, I'd heard that it was about 60 to 70. Are you saying that they were inflated? I'm not, I'm not, I was quite no, sure. No, 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 no. The, the inflated numbers are the ones they're handing out that says 1.7 million and stuff yeah. like that. Okay, I mean, that's I'm, what I didn't yeah, know. From, okay. the pe- from the people who are, who are you know, responsible for it and, and, and who support it. I think seventy thousand is a pretty good crowd. I yeah. mean, I don't see why you would have to inflate that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got to tell you, just at a personal level, um, I I live uh, with my father, and he watches Fox News every night. Every night, I hear it. Hannity, uh, uh, Riley, Beck, 
the, just one right after the other. Well, you're a good son, or you're deaf. Which is it? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a little it's a little bit of uh, cognitive dissonance on my part every every <laughs> night. But uh, it, it but I hear this stuff repeated over and over and over. Uh, it is a very narrowly sort of constricted constipated view of the world uh it's sort of a, a, a willful be- bewilderment on the part of these people and uh um it, it but it's whole it's it's holding a 30 per, about a 25 to 30 percent of the american uh electorate uh and what what is is that is that uh, something that should concern us more than just sort of the uh, the drive-by uh, lunacy factor here well the, what should concern us more is that 30 percent of the of the population is having an outsized influence on the way we govern ourselves, yeah. as opposed to, as Bill Maher said, the seventy percent of us who want crazy. Yeah, and, and that's I the mean, thing that concerns me. I mean, that's one thing. That if you have a substantial, you know, minority of people who believe nonsense, that's fine, as long as you don't act upon it, because there there are consequences, particularly in a society designed like this one, which is not designed to, to operate on automatic pilot. Right. If you've got thirty percent of the people being crazy stuff being crazy things, and you allow them to act on it, either through your own lassitude or because you're not paying attention, then you can't walk away from the consequences. I mean, you can, you can believe nonsense, you can act on nonsense, but you can't walk away, and you can't then throw up your hands and say, well, we don't have anything to do with this. So I think, you know, I mean, it is the responsibility of the 70% to, to make what they call the course correction. And I think both in the media and in general in politics and in culture at large, the, the 70% has failed to do that. Well, I, I guess back to my point again about capitalism, isn't that, as, if we keep believing in the invisible hand of the marketplace, then we're going to allow whatever makes money to draw our attention. Uh, whatever, whatever sells the most uh, product to, to gain our attention. It, is, there, is there part of that, the, the, the tenets of capitalism, that we have to uh, start Yeah, but the, the, po- the point is that scientific and, and, political, scientific and, 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 and political truth isn't a matter of salesmanship. You can't bring the values of the marketplace about what the marketplace about whether or not human beings evolved. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It doesn't. I mean, I I I I make a quite a bit quite a bit of a dinner out of a line that I read in a newspaper in my book, which called intelligent design a politically savvy challenge to Darwinian evolution. <laughs> this is a transparent. This is a sentence of transparent nonsense. It doesn't make any more sense than so- calling something an agriculturally savvy challenge to Euclidean geometry. <laughs> the only thing about that sentence that makes it newsworthy is that it appeared on the front page of the New York Times, which means it had to go through at least three editors before it made the paper. Now, and none of them put up their hand and said, this doesn't make any sense. You know what it is, though? It, it's our fascination with the horse race as opposed to the actual horses that are on the track we, oh, I, we, couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more i think we i, I think we i think we cover politics uh in a fashion i was a professional sports writer full-time for nine years right and i look at our i look at the at by and large the national political the coverage of national politics in this country as being somewhat less than adequate sports writing yeah it, it isn't as good as real sports writing. it's true because if i look if i look you know there, there's a huge story that's just sitting right out there now in front of everyone's eyes which is that we have a two-party system, and one party, on the national level, has become completely demented. I mean, the Republican Party on the national level right now is insane. Yeah. There are no grown-ups. The serious people do not lead, and the leaders are not serious people. This is, to me, unprecedented, certainly in my experience, and I think historically you'll find that even political parties that were taken over by what you would then call a crank element, for example, the anti-Masons in the middle of the 18th century, Gradually, the anti-Masons dropped their conspiracy theories 
and moved in and essentially demolished the Whig Party and took the remnants and created the Republican Party. But they didn't do it because everybody believed the Masons were – because they continued to, to tell everyone the Masons were conspiring to run the country. Right. They did so because they used the, the, the anti-Mason conspiracy theorists and then dropped them like hot potato. This is what I'm talking about, Thurlow Weed and, 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 and William Seward and these people. Uh, what you've got a Republican Party now, you've got a Republican Party that is incapable of detaching itself from these people because their vengeance is too horrible. We're speaking with Charlie Pierce. The book is Idiot America and uh, how, I'm going to say, how stupidity became a virtue in the land of the free. I, I, I agree with um, you know, almost everything you said there, but I recently had someone hand me a videotape. This gives you some idea where they're at. A videotape about, okay. how, the, about how the Masons are, are, run the country. I mean, this So there are these elements. The Masonic conspiracy is, is an evergreen. It's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's a longstanding traditional uh, uh, you know, American conspiracy theory, and God love it. But, I mean, in a lot, of ways, consp- a lot of ways, conspiracy theories are a spur to the, can be, if used properly, a spur to the political imagination. But when used I, improperly, yeah. they, can, they can make us all really stupid. Right, right. But what I'm saying is that there are elements within the Republican Party, that the, the, the philosophy, if you could call it that, that's currently in vogue, is that we'll never die. Will never ever go away, and there will always be twenty, twenty-five percent, thirty, with thirty percent of, of uh, the country who will. Th- this is the thing that concerns me, and I hate doing this. I really, uh, uh, this is something that I, it's overused, but there is to me an analogy, and I, I don't know that it'll end up the same way. That goes back to the thirties, when, when, when the brown shirts, the early unite, what do they call this, uh, the, the socialist. Uh, of Germany, what did they call them? The PS. When they were called that, they only constituted twenty-five to thirty percent of the electorate. However, they were able because they were so disciplined and so at, had such conviction of thought. When contrasted with, the, let's say, in our case, the Democratic Party, that doesn't seem to have any principles whatsoever that they're willing to really go to the mat for. And these, on the other side, you have idiots, but they're really con- they're really committed idiots. And it just yeah, scares I, I, me I, I, that, that, that that's the dynamic that we have in place right now. I think, thankfully, the parallel is pretty imprecise because we have democratic right. – however, however clumsy, we have democratic institutions in this country that, that they that – solid, well-established democratic institutions in this country that they never had in Germany in the 30s. No, I agree. So, I mean, I understand that you know, Hitler was elected and all that. No, no, but, yeah, I, I agree. The only thing about it is the ability to obfuscate and block is what they possess. They don't possess the ability to govern – well, they only possess they only they only possess that ability if it's given to them, and it's given to them by, as you pointed out, the 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 I, what I think is the res- ridiculous supine Democrats or the rest of us who don't insist on better politics. And that's 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 where their influence comes. Yeah. I mean, they could be. La- I mean, a lot of these people could be laughed out of the public square if we all remembered how to you know all, if we all remembered the techniques of mass ridicule. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what that's what well, that's well, where satire. Why, that's where somebody like a Colbert comes in to. But, to but why isn't the media taking them on? More? Yeah, there why, you go. why do we have this stream of of uh, nine twelve news uh, going oh, on Lord, over you the know, weekend? I, I, somebody asked me this last night. I think it's a little bit because everyone's gun shy about being yelled at about being liberal. Uh-huh. I think it's a little bit because the corp, you know, the, the mass consolidation and corporatization of the news. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the news, the news business, my business that I've given thirty years of my life to. Uh, has adopted for itself the principles of the marketplace, the three great premises of idiot America. Yeah. I think the worst axiom to arise in journalism is that perception is reality. 
Because perception is not reality. And it, it can be in politics, but it shouldn't be in journalism. If a perception is not, does not conform to the reality, your job is not to cover the perception as though it were the reality. It's to pound the reality at the perception until the perception conforms to it. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're celebrating a, col- a politics based on nonsense. But, and I'm going I'm to jump back to capitalism again, though. Isn't this because the, the, the uh, well, CNBC is getting this, the corporate sponsorship, well, to, and they know they can sell this, uh, this crap on air. Uh, they can play 912 cheaply. They can get guests cheaply, and it's a matter of, of simply supply and demand. It has nothing to do with, with truth. Well, that's the problem. Truth is not a commodity. I mean, yeah. I mean, political ideas should not be treated as commodities, because then what you wind up is is the, is the best ideas are those that sell, not the best ideas are those are those that are best. Right. Well, the, I mean, there's a combination of things: the the right and and I mean, and the the stupid right and the and the less intelligent <laughs> right have been working the referees for for 50 years on the liberal right. media, right? And then and then you get a guy like uh, O'Reilly or Hannity. Every book they sell, every uh, Coulter, everything that they write ends up on the. In, on the number one bestseller in the New York Times, List. what we don't know is that they that this is this is manufactured. There's there's right wing groups that buy these things in bulk. They they artificially jack these things up into the into this, the number one bestseller, and it perpetuates this idea that this is a legitimate. These people are speaking legitimate fact, political philosophy, and all the rest of it. There is a machine here at work as well that that is kind of that to me anyway is fairly obvious, and and I wish that the rest of the press. Would 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 call them out? Would just say I, I, I do I, I do too. I mean because yeah. you know in a, in a lot of ways decisions are made by those people who show up. Yeah. Uh, now, what's the most appalling thing you find about uh, just what's being pushed on us as far as uh, uh, theories go? I know you saw the uh, the uh, creationist museum. <laughs> was was does that rank up there at the very top? Well, I mean, I advise everyone in America to go see this because it, it really is a unique American institution. Mm-hmm. It, it, this, is the, this is the only country where you could have a museum with dinosaurs that have saddles on them. Yeah. <laughs> and I really advise everyone to go because it, it really is, is, is – there aren't a lot of things around Cincinnati that are worth seeing, but this thing is definitely one of them. Uh, but, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem when, when, when school boards like the one in Dover, Pennsylvania, tie themselves in knots over this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have this little museum where everybody can go and the people who believe it can be reinforced and the rest of us can have a really good time watching them. Yeah. But when, this, when it filters into politics, I mean, the Dover, school, the Dover School Board almost went broke defending the idiotic intelligent design case that got thrown out of federal court. That's not a good thing. Okay, and then, I mean, it divided, the, it divided the community. It set their, their science program back for a couple of years, and it cost them a lot of money. And, and it cost them, you know, national ridicule. That's the bad part. It's not that this museum exists. It's that when it, it, it's when it filters into the lives of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. You want to hear something funny? I just heard this a couple of days ago, and this caused me to lose a few hair follicles, and that was that the, the creationists are just about as mad at the intelligent design people as they are oh, at, the, at the evolutionaries. Because much more, much they, worse. Because they consider them traitors and, and backsliders. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They, they hate these people. And yet it's so funny that, I mean... How does it, that work? 
They basically think they're just sellouts. That's exactly the case. Yeah. It's you either believe the Bible or you don't. Don't try and finesse it with this kind of you know other stuff that they try and interject yeah, let's, science let's into together, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't 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 put don't put fake science into your fake science. It's ridiculous. And just when I heard that, I thought you know that makes sense. I mean, I really in some perverse way that I understand. There's, a, they, there's a certain mad integrity to them. I have to admit, and that's what I'm saying. There's, there's an exhibit, and and that in the the museum is set up so that you walk through. Essentially, the Genesis story, and there's a there's a, you know, and it's set up like a real museum. They have you know dioramas with with signs on the wall yeah. saying what you're looking at, yeah. and they try to get try to get past the kind of kind of very bizarre biblical notion that of why Cain and Abel had to marry their sisters or their cousins or whatever their sisters, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. The, the plaque on the wall explains this in three ways, and I'm going to paraphrase, but not by much. Number one, there weren't many other women around. <laughs> Number two. Because there were not many women around, everyone was doing it. And three, who are you to be asking these questions, you infidel bastard? <laughs> and I'm not paraphrasing the third one by very much. The third one is, this was God's plan, and who are you to question it? Oh, okay. Well, let's just move along. And then you move along to the Noah's Ark exhibit, which is a big, big yeah. exhibit, because it's very important to, their, to everything, to their geology, their cosmology, everything, uh, how the dinosaurs you know, survived into living memory and so forth. And they have these animatronic figures, like the Santas you'll see in stores at Christmas time. And they all talk and stuff, and they move, and one guy's got a hammer. And unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm going to go way out on a limb and say there weren't a lot of Jewish people involved in the building of the Creation Museum. <laughs> all of the animatronic figures talk like Tevye and fiddle around the roof. <laughs> uh, oh my I mean, I couldn't get one guy who talked like Richard Lewis. Yeah. I, oh my goodness! Well, well, yeah, this well is, that's a great advertisement for this museum. I, I'm but, telling you, yeah. you should. And, the, I, I, and, and to be fair, their fossils are terrific. Their explanations for their fossils are completely off the wall. But it's but Ken Ham, the guy who runs the place, was a serious paleontologist before he you know became enlightened. And their fossils are really good. And there's a there's a there's a there's a film about dragons where they maintain that the dragon myths, which are very common to all societies are based on dinosaurs that survived into human memory because they were on Noah's Ark. Wow. And I thought to myself, how boring. I want, di- di- I want dragons to be mythological creatures that came out of nowhere. Yeah. I don't want them to be, you know, a bunch of stuff that you threw in the, the hold of the ship. <laughs> how dull. I don't want, yeah, I don't, I don't want a logic to this. You want, yeah, no. want fantasy. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know if you uh, were a fan of the, uh, the comedian Bill Hicks. Do you remember Bill Hicks? You very, remember? yeah, I, yeah, I remember, I remember, I don't remember him very well. Oh, okay, I thought if you, you know who he was. He had, a, he had a bit where he was speaking in front of a Christian uh, audience with some Christians, and he made some remarks they didn't appreciate and he so they got a discussion about the bible and he asked them what about dinosaurs and and they said this is that's and, and the fossils and all the rest of it and he said they they said uh, that's just god's way of testing us uh, testing our faith yeah. and, and, and 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 so bill hicks response was are we comfortable with that idea that there's a god out there and i can't use the word he used that is is screwing with us i mean <laughs> it, we, do we like that idea is that somehow we're comfortable with that Anyway, so I, I so, so how do we overcome this? How do we isolate? These? I think the only I think the only and I've said this before. I think the only way to do it is is, is what Bill Maher said for the seventy percent to start yeah. showing up. Yeah. There's no other way. I yeah. mean, you're not going to break the media down. There's not going to be a fairness doctrine, regardless of what the paranoid people on talk radio think. Yeah, uh, you, you know the the media. I mean, media consolidation is is. I mean, maybe you can roll it back. Maybe you can't. But 
I mean, the only way to do it is to over is to overwhelm the idiocy with with, with, with as much fact as you can. Okay, and, and you say that uh, a mockery is a good uh, mockery is a very good tool. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it could be good-hearted mockery or it can be vicious mockery. <laughs> I like to think I indulged in both. Yeah. Now, now, have you ever taken on, say, a creationist face to face with mockery? Not on the radio, but not uh, but not not face to face. No, I, I mean, I had a guy call into one of the shows I was on who was a scientist, he said, affiliated with the Creation Museum, and I asked him if he believed that Adam sat under a tree and named all the individual animals, and he wouldn't answer me. So, even though that's in the museum, oh. there's a scene of that in the museum. Adam is naming a saber-toothed tiger, which I think we'll all agree would be a very dangerous thing to do. <laughs> My goodness. Well, um, well, I, you know, I, I agree with you. The, the humiliation and the mockery is uh, what I just keep thinking there's a point. There's sort of a the, this clarion moment when 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 something happens and it's not it's not Joe Wilson yelling, yelling at you live. There, there's but there's some moment in this sort of movement of these people that will reveal itself in ways that you just cannot ignore. And I don't know what that would be. I don't know if it's I possible. thought it was the two, uh, to be honest, fair. I thought it was the 2006 and 2008 elections, at least in terms of our politics. Yeah, but yeah. apparently that's not going to be the case. So. Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> well, and then and this is the dark side of the idiocy, which is. So much of well, what the uh, this nine twelve thing was about, you don't have to scratch the surface too hard to realize that racism is is playing a part at least in in the opposition to Barack Obama. It's a, it's given voice uh, with these people, uh, and there's a lot more to this uh, idea of the idiocy that runs this country. Yeah, I think I think that uh, I think race functions as what the arson squad calls an accelerant. Yeah. Because people said equally crazy stuff about Bill Clinton. People have forgotten the Clinton Chronicles, yeah, the Clinton yeah. death list, the Vince. We, we had two congressional committees and a, uh, investigating Vin, poor Vince Foster's suicide. We got a special prosecutor who got fired because he wouldn't he wouldn't go after you know this fantasy that you know Hillary had had Vince Foster killed in some apartment in Washington. So I mean, but I think that with with the current president, you have this 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 long. You know, very this very explosive American accelerant of race, and I yeah. think that's what you're seeing. Well, and this is the other thing, and I, I've heard, you know, obviously I've heard back a lot, and I've heard, uh, I don't know, you know, who Frank Schaefer is, but he's he's sort of a turned turned out uh, uh, conservative. His father was a part of the. Uh, oh, right, he's the he's the kind of whistleblower on the right. Right, yeah. he's, his father was one of the original Christian coalition guys, and he's yeah. just said this is insanity. And he he made a good point. He said this whole thing with. You know the guns at the rallies and the, the crazy talk and the Glenn Beck stuff and all that. He said it's very much akin to somebody leaving a, a loaded gun on a t- at a table and walking out of the room with a bunch of these people in it. Well, that's I mean, I mean you know the, the 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 famous you know dramatist role. If you put a gun on the table in the first act, it has to go off in the third. Yeah, yeah. and that's what scares me. And that's the thing again. I mean, we're we're, we're having fun. I want to make fun of these people a lot as much as possible. But that's the thing that I, it's just sort of a little little sort of. The music playing in the background and all of this. Oh, I, I, I think you're right, and I think and I think we all ought to be on guard on that. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, <laughs> well have a good day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no. The, yeah, the uh, book is Idiot America: uh, yeah. How Stupidity Became a Virtue in the Land of the Free. Charles Pierce, thanks so much for being on Weekly Signals. Hey, it's been great. Have a good day, guys. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.